Hello and welcome to a special Sunday afternoon edition of the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest in this episode will be David Sisk, who is our basketball recruiting analyst. This episode is presented by the Well Coffee House, a Nashville area coffee house providing fresh roasted coffee along with house-made pastries, breakfast and lunch offerings. There are four locations to serve you in the Nashville area. Those are Brentwood Green Hills downtown and Bellevue. More information can be found at wellcoffeehouse.org, the Well Coffee House where coffee changes lives. We thank our co-presenting sponsor, Wellspire, Nashville's Learning and Development Center, which is located in the Gulch. Today's news is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk can help you if you have been hurt in an accident. Please call Taylor or Russell at 615-846-6200 to determine your rights and if they can help. Well, we thought we would have news on Kerwin Walton by now. The Minnesota point guard is supposed to be choosing this weekend Vanderbilt among six finalists. We have done this podcast with the expectation that Kerwin Walton lands somewhere other than Vanderbilt. If that changes, we, of course, will keep you updated at VandySports.com and also maybe have a separate podcast to talk about that. David Sisk appears on our guest line, which is brought to you by Bowl & Branch. That was started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowling Branch sheets would be until I got them. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vandy and get $50 off your first set of sheets. David Sisk is joining us. He is our basketball recruiting analyst at VandySports.com. David, thank you for doing this. We are doing this on a Sunday afternoon. This is a podcast you and I both wanted to do a few days ago, but things keep changing with Vandy a little bit here and there. Uh, Life has gotten busy on my end a little bit, so this is the first time that we could get together where it made sense. So thank you for joining us today. And it's one of those cloudy days where it's 50 degrees outside, so I think everything worked out pretty well. I know. It's uh, very unspring-like out there. And, of course, with the virus, not a lot of places to go. But that doesn't stop us from having things to talk about, and there is a lot to discuss on this podcast today as it pertains to Vanderbilt basketball and recruitment. Let's start By the way, I was looking forward to getting my hair cut tomorrow. And uh, that got put off. Yeah, I'm going on seven and a half weeks. Fortunately, the one that I got last time was a good one. So I'm just going to wait for the barber to open up. Do you remember Kid and Play? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Back in the day. Every time I put a visor on, I've got a high fade. That's what I look like. I need a picture of this. (laughs) If you've got anybody that's got a garden, I'll send it to you and you can, you can, or, or you're a farmer, and you can keep the crows away in summer. You put it out in the field. <laughs> Perfect. Maybe I can scare my kids with it. <laughs> they might need that right now after the day we're having. <laughs> well, <laughs> on the hoops for a minute. 
You and I are doing this podcast, again, this is Sunday afternoon. We scheduled this for today because we thought, well, I say we scheduled this for today. We were hoping to do this Saturday because that's when Kerwin Walton was going to announce. We put it back to Sunday, hoping we would hear something. By this point, this is 1.30 on a Sunday afternoon. Kerwin Walton still has not announced. We are, for the purposes of this podcast, assuming it is not going to be Vanderbilt. If it is, we may have to have another one on short notice. But you suspect it is going to be either Minnesota or North Carolina. Is that correct? That is speculation on my part. Maybe I don't know. It, it just kind of everything I'm hearing kind of maybe leaning that way. But But I'm going to say this. I think everything is speculation. I don't think there's one person in America who knows what's going to happen, including Kerwin Walton. Uh, and that doesn't sound good, but I believe that he went all the way through today, yesterday, and one of two things either happened. Either he did not know what he was going to decide. Uh, you know, he, he went to bed not knowing where he was going to go, or he made a late switch and he didn't have his graphics or his signing video ready. And, and that, that may sound crazy and it wouldn't have happened 10, 20 years ago. Uh, but in today's day and age, I'll give you an example that'll hit home of Vanderbilt. Uh, when, uh, Simi Chateau, let's go back to that one. If, if you'll remember, Chris, we, we knew, before early signing period was over 2017, 18, whatever year that was, uh, that he was going to Vanderbilt, but uh, he had actually sent in the paperwork to Vanderbilt and had already committed, had already signed, but it was a silent, not even a silent commitment, it was a silent signing. Vanderbilt had the paperwork, here he thought we were crazy publicly and he had officially but not publicly and everybody thought we were crazy if you remember chris everybody was like you don't know what you're talking about you you uh uh, uh what's happening here you've got that one wrong we both kind of called it and we knew that bryce drew had the signature in hand but he wanted to wait till he could make a video uh, with all his family members present because he was in Vermont or wherever his school was at, New England. And he had, uh, he had uh, parents in Canada and uh, they had to wait to Thanksgiving when they got together so they could kind of get together and do it. And then I think something, they had a monkey wrench thrown in that one. So at the end of November, about two weeks uh, after the national signing period began and a couple of days after it's over, he made his announcement and people were saying, how can he do it now? But he already, uh, Vanderbilt already had the paperwork. So those kind of things happen. And, you know, if Kerwin changed his mind Thursday or Friday, uh, you know, it takes a while to get these things done. And, and, and if he does know he's changed his mind, maybe he's just waiting on to get a video completed. So, you know, there, there's a lot of scenarios that it, that it could be, but it, it's, I've said this all along. He has five future cast 
on the Rivals Network, and four of those are North Carolina. And basically, all four of those guys, I've spoken all of them. We we all saw the the, the story that we ran earlier in the week, and they're all kind of like, "Hey, we're we're as uncertain about this as as any prediction we've ever made." And I know Eric Bossy and Corey Evans have said that. And uh, I think if, if they were uncertain on Thursday, they're really uncertain on Sunday, a day after he was supposed to announce. I think back to the semi Chateau ordeal, and you're right, for three weeks, we knew we were told that info and confidence said you can't use it, but here's the deal. And trying to answer questions on the board every day about look, this is nothing to worry about. And oh, well, is it an academic thing? No. Well, is it this? No. Well, then why do you tell me not to worry? Just trust me on this one, okay? I mean, <laughs> yeah, playing that game yeah. every day for three weeks was lots of fun. And number two, I look back on that, and I cannot think of a more appropriate commitment video given what happened in the, like, the 14 people in his ear throughout his Vanderbilt career, which is really why things kind of came apart at the seams with that was whole situation. Was his agent in that video? Oh, I don't was know. Was his agent in that video? Probably. I mean – Everybody with the village Chris, people was in that what. video, I think. This is for this is for Vanderbilt fans, and I think we could say it now, and I wouldn't have dare breathed it a year ago, but I'll, I'll go ahead and, and say it now because we got Vanderbilt fans listening, and, and, and obviously they like to hear stories, and so – you know, a lot of them don't even know what we about what we talked about the the, the uh, commitment, the video commitment. But I'll tell you something else. But I, I know that that they want to be entertained and they want to hear good stuff and make it worth their listen. I think it will. Uh, you know, I was I ended up being told by somebody. I'm not going to mention the name, but it was somebody inside the program that the agent ended up telling Semi during the SEC season, "Hey, quit playing defense." Because um, you know his 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 basically his right hand man. I don't know if you call it a handler, if you call it a uh, a, uh, a basically just somebody giving him advice, a mentor, or whatever. But it was an agent, and he said, "Look, you've got to quit playing defense because if you play defense, you're going to get in foul trouble. If you're in foul trouble, you're not on the floor, and the NBA scout can't see you." So, hey, there's my there, there's my story for the day. Story time with David Sitt. <laughs> and yet he stayed out of foul trouble, and NBA scouts saw plenty of him and chose to pass. And stayed out of the draft also. <laughs> right, and I don't think the G League went very well for him either. I don't mean to make fun of the kid. It just, people's lives aside, it was sort of a comical situation in hindsight. Was he the most unpopular player to ever play at Vanderbilt? Maybe, boy, that would be close. I can't think of who else I know you've would. Got, you're running your top hundred right now. Uh, uh, you know, I, I you might have your top negative one hundred. Gosh, I tell you what. I'm sorry, I'm losing you a little bit, I think, because of the signal, or maybe it's my connection, but either way. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm no, so, that's okay. No, that's okay. We'll just continue from where we are. Uh, he would he would rank very high on the unpopular list. I think if you had to pair a coach and a player and pick one of each, I think Richard Schmidt would be the most unpopular coach, although that would predate 
my time covering the program, which started in 03. But I think as an unpopular player, I think he would be the top pick. I don't even remember Richard Smith, and it's odd that his name came up because I've got a friend of mine who's a college coach, and I know we're we're, we're rambling here. I am a little bit, but I, I think Vanderbilt fans would be interested. I think it's all uh, subjects of interest to them. But I got a call on Friday, and an old buddy of mine, it's a college coach, and he's in Florida, and he was talking about uh, the Tampa job coming up and how he might come up open and, and how he uh, he needs uh, – how he would handle it in social media and all that, how to promote himself and different things. And, and he said that uh, the coach over there now is nearly 80 years old. And I said, well, who is it? And he said, oh, Richard Schmidt, he used to coach at Vanderbilt. And I'm sitting here scratching my head, and I'm I'm 53, and I followed Vanderbilt. Gosh, I can go back to, you know, back well back into the early 80s, late 70s. And uh, uh, for whatever reason, I just can't remember that name. I didn't know there was a – I can remember back to Sam Newton and, and, and trying to go a little bit farther, and that name kind of escaped me. So, uh, like you said, it wasn't one of the great moments of Vanderbilt history. No, here's the background for people on Richard Schmidt. Richard Schmidt took over after they fired Wayne Dobbs. Wayne Dobbs had just won SEC Coach of the Year, and there was an off-court matter that got him fired. And Richard Schmidt was named the next head coach. Richard Schmidt had been the coach at Ballard High in Louisville, which produces a good number of players. And Schmidt brought with him... Two Louisville kids, Al Miller and Jimmy Gray. Al Miller would have been a McDonald's – well, I don't think he was a McDonald's All-American because the game was around at that time, but I think he probably would have been one of the best guys maybe that didn't play in that game. But they were two very highly regarded recruits from Louisville. So what Richard Schmidt did, he also signed Jeff Turner in there too. And Schmidt came in. They had Charles Davis and Mike Rhodes and some other holdovers, and he was one of those – I'm so going to do this with my guys. Mike Rhodes' is senior season. That is correct. And Charles Davis, too. And I remember my dad was not like an angry person. My dad's still alive, by the way. But I remember we would listen to games on the radio because that's where probably 85% of them where you caught them. You couldn't see them on TV. And we didn't have season tickets at the time. So I just remember every time we would listen on the radio and they would do starting lineups. And every time he started with – Rhodes and Davis on the bench, my dad just wanted to lose his mind. So that's my memory of Richard Schmidt. I think that's a lot of other folks as, as well. But Schmidt lasted, I think, two years, and then they got rid of him and brought him seeing Newton. It might have been three, but I want to say two. Um, is that not crazy? I mean, I, I know ever how long it's been. It's 2020 now. If you said the phrase town and country, I would have know exactly what you're talking about in, in 40 years later and, and neither one of those guys start. I know. I know. I think, it, I mean, it frustrated everybody at the time. So, and it I wasn't like that. Rhodes a lot. He still lives over in Linden. And uh, uh, you go to a Perry County basketball game, he'll be there. So, I still, he, he still makes his way up to a couple of Vanderbilt games a year, so I, I still see him around. Well, I would say a lot of people are envious. I think a lot of Vanderbilt people would like to forget Richard Schmidt, and uh, you have in your own way. 
<laughs> I did. You got that right. I'm looking this up as we go. He was at Vanderbilt, yes, for two years. They were 28 and 27 overall, and seven and 11 both years in the SEC. And then they moved on after two years. That sounds pretty good if you look at the last three years. Yeah, well, moving on from a coach in two years too is also a very unVanderbilt thing to do. So uh, the fact that they jettisoned Richard Schmidt after two years tells you about how unhappy folks were at the time. But um, let's move on to Vanderbilt current, or currently, I should say. The Odisipe commitment. David, break that one down for us, please. A player that they had seen uh, last spring and summer with Bobby Mays Elite on the Under Armour Association circuit they liked. Uh, they went and saw him in the D2 private school state tournament at Lipscomb. He had a really good weekend against uh, Christian Brothers, and I, I think the other one was – I might have to look if it was evangelical or who it was. Uh, but uh, had a, a good double-double both games, protected the rim – uh, Kennedy Chandler was, was one of the top 10 players in 2021, uh, uh, was on one of those teams that he, he, he beat or, or that they defeated rather. And, uh, they liked him and it, it kind of picked up and, uh, the hold up was if he was going, uh, to be accepted by admissions. And I spoke with, Bobby Mays, two weeks ago from the day, would have been on a Sunday, uh, after the offer was made, and I don't know if it was a slip or, or what, but I never had anybody so blunt. He said, if he's accepted, he's going to Vanderbilt, and, and kind of stopped, and, and I just don't know if it was a quick sentence or, or he said something he didn't mean to, but... Uh, I called. I think I'll let you know. I'll let Corey Evans know. And, and Corey was had put the first uh, future cast for him to Vanderbilt. And, and Corey's had already talked to him. And he said, yep, he told me the same thing. So we were kind of just waiting. Knew it was going to happen. I was trying to keep close tabs. And if he got accepted, we knew the deal was going to go down. And it did pretty quickly. And he's the newest Commodore. Uh I hear everything between six seven to six nine on his height, and obviously the closer he is to six nine as a center, the better it's going to be. Rim protector, a lot of length, seven foot wingspan, uh, plays with a high motor, plays hard, rebounder, can run the floor very well. He's good in the pick and roll, uh, has good hands. He's just got to. I think his thing, and I'll tell you the thing he's got to do, he's got to develop his, his game away from the bucket. He's pretty decent around the bucket with his back there. He can play that style. But as we said, obviously, when, when, if you look at his strengths in the SEC, if he's 6'7", there could be some struggles. If he's 6'9", uh, then he could end up having a good career. I mean, he's not going to come in and dominate as a freshman. But you know, I, I begin to think that all post players anyway, Chris, um, 
in today's game, you know, they're not like guards. Guards can come in ready to go. You see very few freshmen post players, and you'll see some, but you see very few just ready to get after it when they get on campus. And they just their game has to improve, and they have to develop. And uh, I, 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 he's going to be like the rest of them. He's no different, but. Uh, I think he has some qualities that fans alike. The comparison that comes to mind to me is James Siakam. Now, Siakam was a more highly rated kid coming out of high school. I think he was in the Rivals 150. Otisipe is not. Siakam was not a an overly skilled kid, but he had a motor and had longer arms was able to do some things inside and defend pretty well. I don't think he's as advanced as James was, I gather, at this stage of his career, but is that a good comparison in terms of style and maybe body frame, perhaps? It is, too. What what class was Siakam in? What year would that have been? Oh, goodness. It's probably 12 or 13. I would have to go look it up. And And you have to think, too, that the game has changed even more since then, um, and we kind of look at today's game and say, well, it's nothing like it was 30 years ago. Well, it's nothing like it was if it's 2012. It's nothing like it was eight years ago. You really had to have a presence. And, you you know, you go on and think about Festus Azili and, and, and guys like that right around that time frame. Uh, now it's not necessarily like that, especially the way Jerry Stackhouse seems to want to play web love just a lot of the continual ball screens and more of the NBA style. It's going to be a post player involved in the pick and roll. And, and his coach told me one thing too, his high school coach, he said, one thing he can do really well out of that. He said he can ball screen and then get into that high post area and get a, get the pass from the guard and attack from, a, from the high post area, he said there's not a post going to be able to keep him in front of him because he's got a really good, really explosive first step and then can finish around the rim. So uh, that may be something they look at too. But uh, I think what your, what your uh, uh, game now consists of with a modern-day post player in the year 2020, uh, you know, there's – not as much pressure on him to develop around a bucket, but he can show his strengths in different ways out on the floor. I looked this up while you were talking, David. Siakam was class of 2010 and redshirted that first year. Vanderbilt listed him at 6'7". I think 6'6", maybe 6'5", may have been more like it. So I think that Odisipe is probably taller. Yes. But, but maybe, again, Siakam was a kid with the high motor who made it work in the cu- post because of it, I, of those things? Yeah, I'm gonna probably cut in between. I, I I think I think he's probably at least six eight. I mean, his coach has been around. He's not a newcomer. His high school coach, and he's not a self promoter either. And and uh, he, I mean, he's in fact, you know, Vanderbilt fans will know this. He he coached Doug Roth back at Knox Carnes and. And there was a center at Tennessee, so that kind of tells you, gosh, he he's coached guys that are roughly my age, so um, you know he's been around for a long time. So, uh, like I said, not a self promoter and all. He he says he's legit six nine. So I, I would think I would have to guess he's at least six eight. Let's look at the roster for a minute, and here are some assumptions we are going to make when we break down the roster for next year. 
And if you think I'm off on any of these, let me know. This is assuming that Neesmith is not back. I don't think that's a stretch. That Saban Lee's not back. I think right now uh, both of us think that's going to be the case. I would be surprised. And let me say one thing on that, Chris, if I can, because I I don't want there to be questions from our readers. Many people that will read our our site who will, will listen to this, and they know that they understand that we have had mixed messages on what our sources have said. Uh, yours have said they don't think you would be back. Mine said he would. And I told you, yeah, I called you yesterday and said, Chris, it looks to me like your source was correct. And I'm leaning in that direction. And, and uh, like I said, mine have said that he would be back up till yesterday, and now it looks like uh, that may not be the case, and you were right all along. Well, and it's not about that. It's just about being accurate. Um, right, and, and, right. and my stuff had, had come from a pretty good place for a while. Uh, it wasn't a, a really popular take among the fan base. But anyway, we, we think that the thing that we're trying to get across is we think that's the situation right now. Uh, so we also – I guess have some questions about McBride, but you think he will be on campus in the fall? Well, until I hear something different, Chris, I think that's everybody that he's spoken to. I know you've talked to him. I've seen other Vanderbilt media outlets who have, have, have spoken to him. And I mean, I've not heard anybody say, that he's not going to be here yet. I, I've heard the same thing for months that he will be, and you know, until he is, there's always that chance. Until you know that, that he could, that couldn't happen. But um, I, I'm just going with the flow right now. I, you know, I've not heard anything that that said he's not. Yeah, and I think some of mine was revolving around getting in school and, and such things. I'm trying to look back. And see, because I think the other thing too, right, is that I'm trying to remember Fanable generally gives a press release when a kid has been admitted as a transfer. David, I may have lost you there. You heard the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Now you're. one thing you had heard too, and, and we'd heard the same thing that he was going to come in in the summer and, uh, you know, on campus, of course, that's probably going to be online now. And, and I don't know if they'll be back on campus or not. It, I mean, it doesn't appear that that's going to happen, but they're going to be online. So, uh, you know, he, he wasn't, I, I did think that was kind of weird though, that he basically, transferred from Kansas after one week and it was early um, fall and of course it takes time to make your decision but it was up later but you know that that he was not going to come into the summer I would have to go back and look at the actual commit date I've got it right here but uh, you know I was just it was curious to me though that he wasn't coming into the summer uh, until the summer he committed to Vanderbilt on December the 5th. So I thought he might've been able to come in during the winter and it made sense to me. And, and then when they said, well, I'll be coming in, but not till the summer, I was just kind of like, Hmm. So, you know, that, that is a little bit strange. 
Yeah, uh, whatever the situation is, for the purpose of this, we are going to count him on next year's roster. Now, that I guess would mean a red shirt more than likely because of the the transfer situation. Is that your understanding? I don't know yet. I don't know if that's because, you know, he got out of there pretty quickly. So I, I thought he might have the chance to be ready in the fall because he never played. And I, I was, even with a transfer, um, I thought you might be able to look at that as a complete red shirt year because, you know, he, 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 you know, he didn't play in any games and, you know, like I said, he got out of there basically as soon as school started. So, you know, that, that's something we'll have to see. And I, I've not heard that confirmed, really confirmed, uh, I guess would be the word either way. Yeah. Um, so I guess anyway, for the purpose of this, what we're going to do is we're going to assume that he's on the next year's roster. We don't know if that's going to happen. We don't know if he'll be eligible. But let's just go through this right now. They have essentially three guys who can play point guard. They have Scottie Pippen Jr. returning. Uh, they have Tyron Lawrence, who's kind of a combo guard, but played a lot of point in high school. And then they have, I, I think McBride is considered more of a point than a two. Uh, is that, if everything breaks down the way we think they, I guess they will have three point guards on the roster, or do you see one of those guys being more of a two? No, I would agree with that. Um, I know in, uh, in the last time I was on the show, we talked about it, and, and Eric Bossy said, we had talked about comparisons between Saban Lee and Isaac and, and, or excuse me, not Isaac, but, um, um, Tyron Lawrence, I'm sorry. And he said that, that Tyron did have some Saban in him, but he saw him more of a point guard. Um, but I think he can play that combo. He can play at one or two. He's a bigger guard at six, four, but I think we would definitely see Pippen and McBride as as point guards. And the interesting thing too, um, you know, they're they're recruiting Cohen Walton in the same uh, boat at, at playing some point and having a ball in his hands. And you know, they don't see him. He's six five. He's an elite shooter. But that's kind of been their pitch to him that they hope stood out. That, hey, we're not, we don't want to play you off the ball and just have you stand in the corner and shoot threes. We, we wanted to put it in your hands and work through you. So, you know, and you can do that in today's game. You know, you can go small ball and you can put three guys out there on time under 6'3, 6'4. You know, the year Villanova won a national championship, what they had for, they started four guys under 6'5. You can do that in today's game, but you know they would certainly have numbers in the backcourt. Well, here's the odd thing about that, okay? And again, Lawrence is more of a combo, but that would be three point guards in the same class. I, I know McBride is a year before that, but he would be coming in at the same time. I think I've never heard of that, and I don't think they're going to get Walton. You don't either, and we had the questions about McBride. But if it all panned out that way, that would be a very bizarre I mean, you don't see you don't see two point guards in the same class for the most part. I, I remember it happening once. It happened when Kevin Stallings brought in 
Baldwin and Shelton Mitchell. Mitchell left after a year to go to Clemson. That wasn't so much because of Baldwin as it was, I think, the schoolwork involved. But it's rare that you see two in a class. And if Walton did happen, which, again, we don't think it's going to, but that would be odd. That would be three in the class. Well, you know, coaches now like to play uh, more two-point guards on the floor at the same time. They're they're definitely not against that in today's game because – it's spread out. And it's so ball screen oriented. So they'd like to have two guys who can break the defense down uh, off the ball screen, and they can go two of under ten seconds left to go on the shot clock. Uh, the the only other thing I would think of is is two years ago, um, John Calipari brought in uh, Aston Hagens, Emmanuel Quickly, and Quade Green. He had three point guards there. Of course, Quade Green turned out to be more of a two, but. He was listed as a point and quickly ended up playing two, and he never really played the point. So they kind of sorted themselves out. So um, I think when you bring in freshmen, it, it might be trial by fire. And, and you get in and you have practice and you start scrimmaging. You get in some early games and you might say, hey, we thought this guy was a point guard, but he ain't a point guard. And, and, and then, unfortunately, you may have a guy or two that are neither a point guard or a shooting guard in, in, in either case in the college game and are not going to be able to make it. So, you know, you, you've got uh, things sometimes can play their ways out. Okay, you go to the wing. They've got, I guess, four guys that I would classify as either shooting guards or small forwards. They've got Max Evans, DJ Harvey, Jordan Wright, and Miles Studi. Is that where you would put all four of those kids? Yes, I would, and um, I, I would also kind of maybe kind of go with Tyron Lawrence there, maybe playing like a Saban Lee spot, so he could go to that shooting spot as well. So, you know, I, I would I would say kind of Tyron make him a little bit of luxury or either or. Uh, DJ Harvey's going to be a bigger wing. Miles Stute's going to be a bigger wing, and then obviously you know we'd see Maxwell Evans around playing that too. So, but things are, are, are starting to play out now where they'll have a little bit of depth. It looks like they can go too deep at each spot. And that's a luxury. God, with all the injuries they've had the last year or two, you know, you just hope you've got enough out to put five out on the floor. So, you know, we'll see the quality of it, but that is one advantage that, that Jerry Stackhouse is starting to look at now. That's really not being there the last two or three years. Yeah, it won't be one, two, three walk-ons on the floor at a lot of portions, right. especially in conference play. We right. saw that some. Yeah, at power forward and center, Cleavon Brown is back now. Educao Ben is back. Dylan DeSue is back. They add Quentin Malora Brown, the Rice transfer who sat out. And then Odisipe, I would say, is a is a four, we would say. So right now that gives them 12 guys if they right. don't get Walton, and, what do you think they do with that other one? Do they hold it for next year? Yeah, I'm wondering where they could go from here because the only other guy that they've got left, they've got him, they've got William Jeffress, who is going to announce Monday power forward out of Pittsburgh, out of Erie, Pennsylvania. We all think he's going to go to Pittsburgh. And, you know, we, we talked about COVID-19 and – uh, one thing I've noticed is that um, a lot of these guys are staying home that we thought might go elsewhere. 
and home for him would be pit. And I think that's what most people think would happen. And this is a situation where it really hurt Vanderbilt because he was planning on taking a, a an official visit to Vanderbilt in the spring. And, you know, that never happened. And, and it looks like he's going to stay home. Um, I don't see where else they would go uh, this late unless a some type of transfer fell into their lap. Uh, you know, grad transfers going to Vanderbilt are almost like a unicorn. That doesn't happen. And, uh, um, you know, if they would have to sit out a year and that's something they would look for, you know, later on. But I'm really not hearing Vanderbilt right now tied with anybody. So I, I'm tending to think after we hear from Walton and after Jeffress, makes his announcement Monday uh, that that uh, things could get quiet pretty quickly. You know, they could always add somebody, but I don't really don't know anybody else that they're, they would be looking to bring in. I'm going to ask you a question. What is your prediction on a starting five to open next year? And what is your prediction on, does that change between now and the end of the season? The reason I ask the second question is sometimes you see this often, kids come in as freshmen, they're not ready to play right away, but they get used to the speed of the game and those other things, and by the end of the year, they crack the starting lineup. Well, I think Pippins, oh, one other name, too, that we talked about. I, I, I'm sorry, Dylan Cardwell. And and I, I, I don't need to forget about that one. Um, I just don't think with everything I've been hearing uh, that Vanderbilt, you know, he's going to end up here. Uh, I think some things maybe off the floor they're not, he's not taken care of the way he should. And I believe honestly that, uh, a chemo DCP was, was kind of a Jerry Stackhouse saying, okay, we're moving on. I, I just don't think he was going to bring hit both of them. Uh, now moving on from there, to answer your question, I'm going to say Scotty Pippen. And if there's somebody glaring weakness that I look at, or glaring name rather that I forget, uh, bring that to my mind here. But I'm going to say the obvious ones are Scotty Pippen at the one, DJ Harvey at the three, Dylan DeSue at the four, Cleavon Brown at the five. And that's not a bad lineup. Uh, and looking at that two, you know, you could go two point guards at the same time. I think Tyron, uh, Lewis, Max Evans, and Isaac McBride probably fight that out. But I, I don't know. I think maybe starting out because he's going to be a senior, he's been here. They know what they're going to get out of him. Uh, maybe a uh, looking at Maxwell Evans starting at that two, but I, I think maybe as the year goes, if Tyron Lawrence shows some flashes, um, that that he may compete for that spot. So that would be my prediction. Now, if Saban Lee comes back, then it's automatic. It's Pippen, Lee, Harvey. Uh, DeSue and Cleavon Brown, and, and that is a pretty good starting lineup. 
Well, the one wild card to me, or maybe it's two, is Melora Brown, I think, is more of a low post, probably a four or a five. If he by chance cracks the lineup, do you see Sue maybe on a wing? Because I believe he played some there last play, year. See, now there's the difference right there. I think Sue. he's speaking of wild cards, that does give you a variable because he can go out and stretch the floor. Uh, he's not a guy to post up because we're talking about Vanderbilt going four to five out. And they would definitely go four out with um, with um, Dassault because he's going to play behind the three point line. Now, it, then, if you have let's say a Cleavon Brown and uh, uh Tail Benna or a Quentin Malore Brown, you know Cleavon kind of gives you the luxury to play the four or five. Of course, Cleavon sets a ball screen. Then you're different at looking at a different look. So I think the thing that might be interesting with this post lineup is that it gives you the option to where you can go with a bigger lineup uh, with, with some guys in the paint, or, or you can stretch the floor and go five out totally because Cleavon's pretty good in the ball screen. I could even see situation, you know, we're talking about all these guards, where uh, DeSue could slide down, you know, if they really want to go small and, and, and go to a pure five out, DeSue could be the biggest guy on the floor. So I, I think with depth, with versatility, uh, you, you have some options of, of how you want to attack. Well, look, most teams' rotations are eight, nine guys at the most. You might see a 10th guy play every now and then. But they've already got 12 if you include McBride. And again, we're saying Lee is not coming back is the way we're pursuing this discussion. But that says to me that maybe you see a red shirt from Otisipe and maybe Miles Studi as well because, remember, he's changing roles. I don't think he's going to be a big-time impact scorer. And they're a little crowded on the wing because they've got Evans and Harvey are going to play a lot. Jordan Wright's going to play some. And then, as you say, whatever they do with Tyron Lawrence, and then DeSue potentially fits as a, as a stretch, the, the floor guy playing somewhere other than the four or the five. So, to me, I look at that and I say, there's a pretty decent chance that one or two, maybe both those guys, redshirt. You know, and it's going to be interesting to see what Jerry Stackhouse's um, approach is. Um, I'll give you an example. If you you pull up, let's say Greg Gard at Wisconsin, and you go through that roster, and it's just red shirt, red shirt, red shirt, red shirt, red shirt, and and that's not always the popular thing, but he gets guys who buy into that and want to develop over the long haul, and I think you and I have agreed on this that Jerry Stackhouse takes the more uh, developmental approach. He's not a guy who's going to go out and and nail a bunch of five stars right off the bat, and they're going to be one and done. And he's going to throw them out there on the floor. Kind of, I mean, kind of like a Bryce Drew. You know, he he, he kind of turned it over to freshmen, and it, it backfired. Uh, whereas I think Stackhouse, uh, we may be looking once he gets numbers. Now he couldn't do it last year because um, they just didn't have the depth. But once he has depth. Does he attack this as a 
we're going to redshirt guys. We're going to develop. And, and you look up in two years or so, and you've got a basketball player. Uh, is that his approach? Obviously, do that with transfers. They have to come in and sit out a year. Uh, I think you're wise if you're Vanderbilt that you try to get an old roster on the floor to where you've got 20, a lot of 20, 21, 22-year-old guys in the program rather than 18-year-olds. I think that's the best recipe. I know it's tough to do in today's age, but, uh, you know, he, the, it's not if you can find guys that, that'll buy into that and accept it, and I'm interested to see if, if that's what he's pushing for, like you say. One other thing that is worth discussion, you and I talked about this before the show off-air, the way they approach recruiting, and particularly with the geography, seems to be changing as they recruit for 2021 and beyond. Yes. Uh, if if you look uh, at their last – two things stick out. The first thing is if you look at their last couple of guys over a stretch that they have offered, Quante Berry is from Cleveland, Tennessee. John Butler Jr. is from the Greenville, South Carolina area. Lucas Taylor, who I just talked to, I will have an article up on him later tonight or tomorrow. Uh, Wake Forest, North Carolina. Kimodi C.P. Knoxville. Uh, they've offered two kids, Kyle Filipowski and Jan Farrell from New York, or, or Northeast, rather. Uh, yeah, no, they're both from New York. And there's also another player, I believe it's Bruce Thornton Jr., who is ODCP's teammate at Knox Catholic. So one thing I'm noticing, they're getting away from the West Coast. And we, uh, we thought that, uh, not second-guessing anybody, Chris, but we said when it come in that we there were so many offers out in California and Arizona, and we said you just cannot build a program in Nashville, Tennessee, in the Southeastern Conference, based on left coast guys. Uh, I mean, you've got to start working the Southeast. Uh, and Stackhouse is going to have should have great pull through AAU ties and just his name in North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia. He ought to be able to work that well, but. I've always thought that Virginia, Washington, D.C. area, or the Catholic League, all that. So many. You know, they pull Miles Studio, Gonzaga, D.J. Harvey comes in from uh, uh, DeMatha. I've always said that was an area I would work. And, you know, they, they've offered uh, – uh, a lot of private school guys in Virginia and Maryland, and they're not all top 150 guys either. These are guys that are, you know, they've got offers, but they're not five stars. And, and you you feel like legitimately they're going to have a, a better shot at getting these kind of guys. I, I just felt like they offered a lot of guys coming in. Now, I'm not blaming this on anybody. They just had to reach out to guys they were familiar with and I just think that they offered a lot of guys, and you and me both looked at it and said, there's no way they're going to get this guy, and there was a bunch of them. And, you know, they ended up doing pretty well in this class, bringing some guys in, and, and now I think they start to establish a recruiting identity. I just think it took a while. Let's go to the mailbag, which is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all your insurance needs. Call Josh today 
at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at huinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at Joshua Minton HQ or at facebook.com forward slash JD Minton HQ. He is my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about it on the podcast. I think I've been seeing Josh Minton on television some of these uh, kind of Nashville pulling together with one of these uh, coronavirus commercials. Is that right? I have not noticed it. I've not watched a lot of TV, but that would not surprise me. That's one of his things. So. I believe I've seen him. I, I believe I've seen his name flash, face flash across the screen a couple times. I wouldn't surprise. He's a Josh is a really good dude, and again, he is my insurance agent too. I will be giving him a call because we were we're buying a car, or really a minivan. Uh, that's what you do when you have a six and eight year old. That's that's how life rolls these days. But anyway, sounds like you might need some insurance on uh, some house and uh, home damage uh, with, with with the kids um, having Monday night rolls uh, all week long. You know, if, if my son had had five more minutes to throw a fit, he might have today. I, I think the uh, I think the quarantine is starting to test the sanity of the lead children. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> had delayed the start of the show a little bit, but. Let's see, Five Star Door asked several questions. I believe we've answered a few of these already, but I will start with a couple that we didn't exactly get into. He wants to know which freshmen will have an impact and what do the newcomers need to focus on improving in order to make an impact? I'll answer the second one first. I think we've kind of already addressed that, and, and I'll go back because that, that'll make it a little bit easier. Um, just doing what the coaches tell you is how they can make that impact on what they need to do and how they can make that impact because, um, you know, they're going to be developed. So I think that's the big thing. Um, if I look at players who can make an impact, if I had to pick one out of the three, I think it's going to be Tyron Lawrence right off the bat. Uh, I, I think of the three, he's probably the one right now who is, is pretty safe in his role, who can play to his strengths. And, and like we said, Miles Stute is trying, Studi is trying to go from the four to the three and um, ODC, I, he may be better than any of us know. I, I, I mean, I don't know, but, you know, he seems like, you know, he's in a, a developmental role uh, in that stage as well. So uh, I, I think Tyron Lawrence, like I said a while ago, um, I think Tyron Lawrence could be in a place before the year's out next year that he cracks starting lineup. This one also from Five Star Door. Can you give any insights about what capital improvements Vanderbilt needs to make for basketball? Uh, I would, you know, that one kind of better than I do, Chris. I, I just think it's across the board. Even going back and, and talking to Bryce Drew's staff, they were really open about it behind the scenes on what they would like to see happen. And, and I think offices, weight rooms, uh, locker rooms, uh, you know, in, inside to the gym, gymnasium, all, just, uh, all, all kinds of different things. 
done. I, I just think there, I think there's a, you know, practice facilities. I, I just think uh, there's a lot across the board and uh, uh, you can't do it all at once, but I think there's a lot of, to mention. It's just not one thing, Chris, I, I you know, like I said, you 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 you've talked about that forever. Just across the board of athletics, you know, there's a lot of things that need to be addressed. Yeah, I feel like we could go and find a podcast from three or four years ago and just take the same question and the same answer and splice it into this podcast, and absolutely nothing would have changed. It's just four years later yeah. now, and everybody else has done stuff where they haven't. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that. And, and you know, it, it's like you said the last time I was on. They were talking about the, uh, the, the the interim athletic director was talking about uh, you know some things they wanted to do and now you basically got budget freezes so you know that's just going to tie it down again and and and, and, and one sad thing too is it seems like that the common response that I've heard you know whether it be on Twitter whether it be on here on the site's message board is you know. they said, uh, here's another one where they're promising what they're going to do to build facilities. I'll believe it when I see it. If they put the time and effort into actually doing stuff as opposed to providing excuses or telling us, hold on, they might have the Taj Mahal of basketball facilities. Like I tell the kids at school, if you uh, did as much work, you spent as much time working as you did trying to get out of it, and uh, you'd be right. a student, right? I feel like some people at Vandy might have taken the the wrong calling, and maybe they should have gone into politics instead of higher ed. <laughs> well, and that makes it tougher in this league because the Southeastern Conference is, it's you know this, in facilities, it's an arms race. And, and I mean, every, you, you can go just about every campus in the SEC and it looks, you know, it looks like a Las Vegas strip. And, uh, and I don't say that in jest. I, and I, I hate to bring this up because I grew up in East Tennessee and uh, when my mom and dad were still alive, they lived about 40 miles on the other side of Knoxville. And I remember Gosh, probably, I don't know, 2013, 14. Uh, I'd not been on that campus in 10 years. And uh, and just, I said, I want to see what it looks like. I've heard about guys talk about all these facilities and drove around Mayland Drive, then at Thompson Bowling, and you stop there at the red light, you're going to take a left and turn up the hill. And I'm like, good. you could see it from there. I'm like, good gracious. This don't even look like the same place. And I can imagine what it's like now. And, you know, you, you take your, your, you know, Auburn and Ole Miss have built brand new, uh, uh, gyms, gymnasium since then. And I know going to Ole Miss, uh, two years ago, I went to a game down there and it's really, it, it's really, a give you a visual, their new arena when Warwick Park was on the right side of the road and the old bad pad was on the left side of the road and it looked like uh, uh, a housing project, you know, next to uh, Green Hills or somewhere. And, and it, it was just, it was just a totally different, it was just a totally different setup, man. I said, you know, they either, they're going to leave that old one up to say, Hey, this is what we're doing. Or if not, I'd firebomb the other place because it, it looked like an old high school, about 70 years old. 
Wonders Wonders says, will the staff go after Sky Clark now that he is transferring to Brentwood Academy? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. You know, his brother, ZZ, that was the first offer. So, you know, there's, uh, you know, there's no doubt that, that that's going to happen. Um, you know, they're already entire. I know this when they took the, when they, I can say it now, but when they took the visit to Vanderbilt and Sky was all, or ZZ was offered and Sky saw it, um, they were up looking for a house at that time, um, uh, moving from California to Brentwood. They had already worked out, uh, during the weekend with Jamal Richardson, uh, you can see some pictures of that. You just Google it, you can see it. So, you know, they had already made plans about uh, moving. This is not something that just puts in. And like I said, they were able to go by and see Vanderbilt with that. So, you know, you're waiting on when are the next really good players to, to come out of the Nashville area and it's in that 2022 class and, and Scott Clark will headline that. So I would expect Jerry Stackhouse to see a lot of Brentwood Academy games here in the next few years. Last thing, and this is just something for me, Jeff Goodman came out last week at the stadium with his top 50 teams for next year. The SEC for next year, according to his forecast, looks a lot like Big Ten light for this year where a lot of really good teams, but not maybe any great ones. Although Michigan State would have been considered great, certainly, by people. But the way that it played out, the, the Big Ten was very competitive from top to bottom. Anyway, here was his top 50 for next year. And I'll get your comments and thoughts on this and maybe where you agree and disagree. But here's where he went. 18 Alabama, 20 Tennessee, 21 Florida, 24 Kentucky, 28 Arkansas, 34 Auburn, 43 LSU, 49 South Carolina, and 50 Ole Miss. That is basically six NCAA teams, probably an LSU team that might be on the bubble depending on who wins conference championships and things like that. And then South Carolina and Ole Miss would be NIT teams in that range. Your thoughts on what Jeff Goodman came up with? The only thing I would disagree with is I would have Tennessee and Florida way up that list. Um, I, I think I think Tennessee is looking next year. Uh, now, now, of course, the Eves Ponds did declare for the draft uh, this weekend, uh, but I, I could see them back where they were two years ago um, um, when they they made a serious run and and. Uh, with Grant Williams and, and, and Animal Schofield and that bunch. Um, I mean, they've got they've got three starters back now. They have well, Ponds leaving, uh, and they've got some transfers in. They've got a top ten recruiting class. Um, I, I think I'd, I, I'd put them a preseason top ten. I'd put Florida right there. Now I did see today that Andrew, Andrew Nimhart is uh, putting his name in. Now, that doesn't mean either one of these guys are going to leave, but, you know, they've Florida had a lot of guys coming back, too, and I felt like uh, they felt like they underachieved last year. They did underachieve, uh, and, and I feel like uh, with everything they've got coming back, if they could get it right, 
they could be that kind of team. Now, that's a big if because they, they should have got it right last year. We thought they were going to be that kind of team, and they never did. They just looked to me like they never had an identity. But Alabama, you know, they're still adding players. Um, you know, they, they've done a tremendous job in the spring of, of getting some top 150 guys, but really nailing this transfer market. Uh, and they've restocked. But Alabama's the same way. That I, I didn't think – I wasn't impressed by his, Nate Oates' coaching job the first year. Because I thought they had an NBA backcourt, and, and I don't know. It didn't look to me like they were going to get the tournament. And they, they were making a late run to try to do it. They struggled for a large part of the year. Um, I thought Auburn thought they were, but Greg Brown didn't work out. Um Obviously, Jalen Green didn't work out, two big-time recruits, and, and they did add some guys, J.T. Thor, but nothing like they thought they were going to get. But uh, saying all that, I, I just think these, yeah, it is going to be a very good league. And I looked at the Vanderbilt roster, and I said, well, you look by what was in the league last year, because I thought the SEC was down um uh, and I said, you know, you look by that, I think Vanderbilt could maybe win seven or eight games in the SEC this year, but it's going to be compared to next year, and it's going to make it tough because I think everybody else was just kind of uh, uh, waiting to to kind of reload. So I do agree with that. I think the SEC is going to be – you're going to go from a three or four uh, uh, bid league to maybe eight to ten. Kentucky is a really strange situation because – Kentucky, I believe, loses six of its top seven players. That's not new, but I don't think they reload at the level they usually do. Kentucky at 24, what are your thoughts on that? Because it seems like there's downside below that, potentially. Uh, I think, but there could be some upside, too. Um, I think there's a lot of variables there, Chris. I think the big thing is that they don't have a center right now. And, uh, you know, E.J. Montgomery left. They knew Richards would. I think they really got caught off guard when E.J. Montgomery left. Uh, Johnny Juzang was supposed to be back, first guy off the bench. So the only guy that they've got back that played, got any playing time whatsoever last year was was Keon Brooks. Um, So you've got that, and then you've got some freshmen. Uh, I don't know that the – uh, they've got one grand transfer in Davion Mintz. It's a point guard from Creighton. I don't know that how much he's going to bring to the table. Uh, so they're really young next year. They thought they were going to get Matt Harms. Uh, there's so the whole and obviously he went to BYU. The question is going to be: Can they get a solid five? Uh, Nick, because if they don't, they are really really young. Now they've got two outstanding wings. B.J. Boston, Terrence Clark, that are going to be in the mode of Malik Buck and Darren Fox. Um, I mean, two of the best guards, and, and, and they're both six seven to six eight range. And, and but the thing is, how good are they going to be around them? Uh, if the Fred, they've got some, obviously everybody that gets top fifty. So if Isaiah Jackson could really come on the post, and I think he could, it kind of changed things around. They're going to be young at the point guard spot, but. It's really going to come down if they add a five. And and I don't know where you look this late. Of course, there's stuff going on all the time. People are transferring out. 
you'll hear some guy reclassify. You'll hear some guy like McCour Maker said he was going to go pro. Now he comes out yesterday and says he's not. He's looking to play college, and Kentucky's in his top four. And, you know, you get somebody like that, that, you know, maybe changes things. But uh, losing Matt Harms was a blow. Losing E.J. Montgomery was a blow. And it's it's really weird with all the bigs, the Anthony Davises, the uh, – the other guys that they have had in the post that have have had big time NBA careers, John Calipari just cannot land a post player. I mean, he has done nothing but lift the last two or three recruiting cycles. That that's one of the most interesting things in college basketball to me. That that he cannot get a big. He can get all kind of guards, but right now he cannot get a big to come to Kentucky. Well, I guess I misspoke a little bit. They reloaded with the number one class, but. Jeff Goodman knows his stuff. It seems to me if they are 24 at that class, there's some expectation that maybe those kids aren't as ready to contribute right away as some of Calipari's past recruiting classes might have been because that team always is reloading year in and year out and is still top five regardless. Yeah, they um... – I think one thing, too, like I said, they don't have a legit five. And I think here's the thing, too. You're kind of asking a coach to change his stripes if they don't get anybody a big because you're going to have to go small. And I think it's kind of like, uh, like for example, you take Arkansas. Uh, you remember when Brett Billima was out there? And it's kind of like taking Brett Billima at Arkansas and saying, okay, we don't have any linemen. We don't have any running backs, but we got a bunch of wide receivers. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to spread it out, and we're just going to throw it all over the yard. And we're going to look like, uh, gosh, I don't know, LSU or somebody did last year, when all you've ever done is, is run it 70 times a game and throw it five times. So uh, you, you're really kind of asking John Calipari if they have to go small to change the stripes and do something he's really not ever done. Well, and here's one more issue with the SEC, okay? The recruiting classes coming in are pretty darn good. You've got Kentucky at one, according to rivals. All this according to rivals, by the way. Tennessee at five, LSU at six, Arkansas at nine, Auburn at ten. So that's half the top ten. Then it goes Alabama at 24, Georgia at 27, Florida at 28. So that's eight of the top 28. Then it is Mississippi State at 47, so that's 9 A&M at 51. That's 10 in the top 51. Ole Miss at 52, that's 11. And then Vanderbilt at 54 is 12th in the league. You're bringing in – number one, you're bringing in big-time coach. I shouldn't say number one. I don't even think the deal bringing in big-time coaches is necessarily the end-all. I go back to the SEC network. I go back to that meeting in um, um, the SEC meetings down in Destin that they had a couple years ago. It was before Greg Sankey. Who was the uh, SEC commissioner before Greg Sankey, Chris? Before Greg Sankey, it was, um, oh, good grief. I can sit here and picture him. Well, anyway. They had a meeting, and um, this was right before they started the SEC Network, and he had the ADs all together, and he said, look, uh, 
men's basketball is going to be start to be a huge deal because of the SEC network. Every game that's played in the SEC is going to be seen nationally. And the product that we're putting on the floor right now is it ain't going to cut it. You know, we have got to invest in these basketball programs. There's got to be more than football. And obviously, you can just see reward from what the SEC Network pays out to each school. And it was kind of a dressing down, and the ADs took it seriously. And, you know, you start to bring in a Rick Barnes and a, a Frank Martin and a Musselman and, and you know, Bruce Pearls gets back into the action and Ben Howland and Kermit Davis. and I mean, these are all big-name coaches. And the building facilities, like we said, it's an arms race. And, you know, used to – it was Kentucky, you know, that they were going to invest in basketball and a lot of these other schools weren't. But as you go through and look at facilities now and you look at what Tennessee's got and Arkansas's got and, and you know, like we said, Auburn and Ole Miss build new ones. Uh, uh, Florida just built a brand-new practice facility. And you just see a lot of these places now, their dedication to it, and you're like, you know, they can match Kentucky with facilities and and they can look and say, hey, we're just as dedicated to it as they are. And, and you may not, and you're not going to have to go through all the fan scrutiny. So, and all the pressure and the fishbowl. So, you know, I, I think uh, obviously, you know, it, it, it's a pretty good set. There's a lot of good settings in the Southeastern Conference for, for, for high school players if they want to play on the big stage. Mike Slive. I don't know why that was so hard to remember. I could picture the guy's face, but I could not remember his name for the life of me. Uh, Probably the best one the league ever had. But David, I think we've exhausted the list of topics we had scheduled for today. Any closing thoughts as we end the show? No, I've enjoyed it. I I love doing these. I I love on the message boards all the time. I love uh, uh, reading questions i love the interaction on the boards ask quite all at any time you know i've i've uh it's something i that i really enjoy and uh obviously thankful for the opportunity with you chris you've been good to me over the years and uh look forward to keep doing it well you've been great for us as well tell folks where they can follow you on twitter it'll be coach david sisk at twitter and uh, we're going to have a, a lot of stuff coming up. Like I said, their um, most one of their most recent offers in the 2021 class. Uh, uh, some of these guys I've just spoken with, so I'm going to have stories uh, on those. The young man <laughs> trying to think of his name. I've got so much going on. Lucas Taylor. And I'll have that story coming up either tonight or tomorrow. And and a lot of these guys now, after, um, like I said, after the Kerwin Walton's decision and Williams Jeffress, I think you start looking ahead maybe a little bit to some of these classes. And I'm really going to start hitting up some interviews with players and coaches and a lot of these 2021 and 22 guys that have been offered in the past few weeks. So, um, I, I, like I said, I really want to uh, hit it up with them. Thank you for joining us today, David. Thank you, Chris. He is David Sisk. I'm Chris Lee. We thank you for listening to the Evangelist Sports Podcast.